loving God, your word has the power to restore our lives, so open our hearts to the presence of your spirit and the message from your word, for you are mighty to save. Amen. Well, back in November, we began a series of sermons about the salvation journey, looking through, you might say, the lenses, the glasses of the prophet Isaiah. Today we'll consider a challenging story in the Gospel of Matthew, but we'll start with three verses from Isaiah 63. These are verses that actually begin a psalm or song of lament, a prayer for rescue from troubles, real and present, that runs well into the 64th chapter of Isaiah. Listen now for the word of God in Isaiah 63, starting at the seventh verse. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Now our New Testament passage from Matthew's Gospel brings us into the story just after the visit of the Magi, those fellows we call the wise men. Remember that they had first gone to the capital, Jerusalem, to see the new king. Well, this frightens Herod and his whole crew, so they search the scriptures and they find a passage that points to Bethlehem and tricks the old Herod, tells them, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go also and pay him homage. But he is lying. They do find Mary. Joseph and the baby Jesus. They pay homage, they worship, they present their gifts. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And that's, that's where we enter the story today in Matthew, the second chapter, starting with the 13th verse. Now after they, that is the wise men, had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt, and they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed 
all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. Then he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The Lord made my words and may I our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Back in 1971, when I came to Raleigh to go to graduate school at NC State, I had a little basement apartment halfway between the university campus and the Cameron Village Shopping Center. Well, one problem, if you've ever lived in the basement, one problem with living in a basement is that the radio and TV reception were pretty limited. And I had a pretty lousy TV and radio for that matter. But I got a strong signal on WPTF radio. So bright and early every morning, I would hear Jim Graham, also known as the Sod Father, Jim Graham, uh, one of North Carolina's genuine characters. He'd be on the phone during the farm report, talking on the radio, almost always signing off with the announcement that North Carolina's great, tobacco's great, everything's great. It's going to be a great day in North Carolina. Now that calling him the Sodfather is not a disrespect. That is what he called his autobiography. You can look it up. Mr. Graham was an energetic optimist and an unrelenting booster for North Carolina agriculture. In fact, it was when he was head of the uh, farmer's market in the late 50s that he talked PTF into having the farm show early in the morning and then at noon. And some of you remember those uh, tales, those jokes they would tell on the farm show at noon too. But the truth is, some dates were greater, days were greater than others and some weren't great at all. Well, many of us would like the stories in the Bible to be like that, great all the time, wonderful, easy on our ears, easy on our hearts. But the truth is, they aren't. In this gruesome story in the second chapter of Matthew, we learn of the first opposition to Jesus when he was still just a baby. 
King Herod and those who shared power with him were not at all happy to hear the birth of a new king. Now Herod had his troubles, he did. He was, uh, the man had five wives along the way. The first was named Doris and the last one was named Cleopatra, but not the famous one. <laughs> and if you read more of Matthew, you'll learn about all the troubles his sons got into and the troubles they caused John the Baptist for that matter. But right then the problem was they heard there was a new king and that scared them. We know that Jesus, we know that Jesus came to lead us toward God, that Jesus came bringing freedom and love, but Herod, Herod only held power because the Roman government let him. That made him insecure, fatally insecure. Herod was afraid, and when powerful, insecure, fearful men feel threatened, violence is just not very far away. Well, the story of Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt with their baby, Jesus. It parallels or replays that story of Moses and the children of Israel. Just as Moses led the people out of Egypt into the promised land, Jesus will lead people from sin and death to the kingdom of God. There's a lady named Jill Duffield, who's the editor of the Presbyterian Outlook, a denominational magazine of ours. She writes that the story of Herod's wrath resonates all too well in a world where the innocent suffer at the hands of the powerful and cruel. The scale of this violent decree of Herod's is genocide-like. All the children under two in and around Bethlehem, all of them. Such horrendous revenge isn't about expedience. It's a show of power. It's a way to intimidate and pound people into submission. And it sounds all too familiar with the use of poisonous gas in Syria, terrorist attacks in theaters and markets and schools around the world, the kidnapping of girls in Africa, the use of soldiers who are just boys. The more things change, the more the Herods of the world remain the same. When well, this story from Matthew, King Herod murders innocent children. But in the gospel stories, we will see that Jesus cares for the little children and lifts children up as model disciples. This story reminds us that God's acts of peace and justice inevitably evoke a hostile response, sometimes, as in this case, a brutal, violent response. But love, God's love, wins in the end. Now, maybe you've wondered why this sermon is called In Spite Of. Well, did you notice in the three verses we read from Isaiah that all the verbs describing God's gracious deeds on behalf of Israel, all of them, all of them were in the past tense. The ninth verse says God redeemed them. He lifted them up. He carried them. The people Isaiah was writing to, were they like we are now. They wanted to know not just what has God done in the past, what's God doing in the present tense. Like them, we want to know 
Where's God now? The preacher and author Barbara Brown Taylor says that the scripture readings for today help us to confront the truth that neither God's presence nor Christ's birth rids the world of horror and death still there. Another commentator I like named Ron Allen says that we need to remember that Martin Luther's insistence that our faith, our hope, our trust in God, all of that is always in, always in spite of. We believe in spite of our doubts. We trust in spite of our worries. We commit ourselves to live in faith in spite of our shortcomings, our sins, our sorry secrets. Part of how we live in faith is by recalling the gracious deeds of the Lord in our lives and in the lives of those we love. Memory, that is. Memory is one key to faith. We need to follow the advice of, remember in the Lion King, Mephasa the Lion King, the advice he gave his son Simba, remember who you are. Our Presbyterian denomination has a catechism called Belonging to God. It's catechisms, you know, are a series of questions and answers designed to teach young disciples and some of us who are not so young to teach us about our faith. Let me just share a few of those first questions in that catechism. Question number one, who are you? And the answer is, I am a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? that I belong to God who loves me. What makes you a child of God? <clears throat> grace, grace, God's free gift of love that I do not deserve and cannot earn. Don't you have to be good for God to love you? No, God loves me and all of us in spite of all I do. And how do we thank God for this gift of love? To say, I promise to love and trust God with all my heart. As our young singer sang for us just now. With my heart. How do you love God? By worshiping God, by loving others, and by respecting what God has created. Well, our passage from Matthew's Gospel told a wonderful story of how God protected Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus by having them move off to Egypt for a time. But it also told the story of Herod slaughtering hundreds, perhaps thousands, of innocent children. Then, as now, horrible things happen, and they tempt us to question, where is God now? Frederick Beekner is a preacher and author of, you've often heard me quote, he said that grace, grace is something that you can never get. It can only be given. The grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might have never been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. God's saying, I am here for you. Nothing, nothing can ever separate us. It's for you that I created the universe. 
I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be only yours if you reach out and take it. And maybe, maybe that ability to reach out and take it is a gift too. Well, part of how we live in faith is by being alert to the ways that God upholds us, lifts us up, carries us day by day. Our faith, our hope, our trust is in Emmanuel. God's Holy Spirit is with us, and we trust that Christ will come again to reign in glory. Not thanks to the powers that be, like Herod or lots of folks who are like Herod now. Not thanks to our own works because of anything we do. But in spite of. In spite of. Thanks be to God. Have faith in God in spite of. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever feelings that you may have of doubt or concern or worry or fear, have faith. And go out to share the good news of the world that really needs good news. That Jesus Christ has come to help us, to set us free. So may God the Creator, Christ the Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Advocate, Guard your going out and your coming in and be your strength and help in every time of need, this day and forevermore.